Hello everyone and welcome to the aggregate demand and aggregate supply portion of macroeconomics. This is Dr. Terry Eland coming to you from home to wherever you are. So sit back, relax and enjoy the economic ride. So for anyone who's done microeconomics before, this is where macro starts looking like micro all of a sudden again. And if you haven't done micro yet, please take a look at uh, the videos or notes uh, from the micro portion that's given as a pre-class review. Uh, this is where you might see some use to it, uh, but otherwise you should still be able to figure it out. The big idea here is that we're representing the whole economy, every single good produced in Canada, goods and services produced in Canada, and we're aggregating them. So aggregate is to just put them together and we're creating kind of this demand curve that takes into account every single good out there and supply curve that takes into account all the suppliers of all these goods. And then instead of having just the price of that specific good, as in micro, since we're dealing with the aggregation of all the goods and services out there, the price that will be on the vertical axis is actually the price level. So if the price level in the economy goes up, well, that's the same thing as when we had like the price of the basket of goods and when we were calculating inflation using the CPI approach was going up. Well, it's the same kind of idea. When the price level goes up, if we get to a new equilibrium with a new higher price level, that is equivalent to saying that we have inflation. And then on the horizontal axis, Typically in microeconomics, we're looking at the quantity exchange for this specific good. Well, here we're looking at the quantity exchanged and produced for all goods and services out there. So just see that kind of quantity as a metric to say how the economy is doing. So the vertical X axis is a metric to say what regards to if there's a news event that brings the price down while well, prices are going down, there's deflation. And if prices are going up, there's inflation. And then the horizontal axis, which has output, well, if that output level is going down, well, we're producing less. And if that output is going up, we're producing more. So if it produces less, it's kind of a situation as when we're going into a recession, if we're producing less than full employment. And if we're producing more, where we're in an overheating economy and we're that will lead to inflationary pressures, and we'll see how that works later on. But uh, generally speaking, this is how the model is set up. And the big idea here that we'll see is when we go through recessions, the big factor that normally falls, and there's a series of graphs that kind of helps you understand this, is that even though all of GDP is a combination of consumption, investment, government spending, and net exports, the factor that really changes drastically when we have a recession is the investment factor. Because people still consume, they'll consume less. Government spends just as much, and sometimes they'll spend even more when they are funding a bunch of social services, unemployment and everything else. Well, government spending is actually going up. Sometimes taxes won't go up, it might go down. So that level of government spending is actually kind of as high or, or higher. And then exports, uh, that all depends on how the other countries are doing and so on. But overall, the one that really drops, and you can see this on these graphs, is investment and what normally 
goes up when we have recessions is unemployment. So starting from that baseline of supply and demand, the big thing that we have to understand is what factors shift these curves and why. And in microeconomics, we've seen a series of factors that leads to the demand curve shifting. But in macroeconomics, it's actually, in some respect, a little bit simpler. If we think about anything that shifts the aggregate demand curve, well, just think about anything that changes either consumption, investment, government spending, or net exports, and that's going to have an impact on the aggregate demand curve. So just think of any of the components of GDP. If any of them go up, well, the aggregate demand curve is going to shift up or to the right. It's the same thing. And if any of them goes down, well, the AD curve, the aggregate demand curve is going to shift down or left, uh, representing the same thing. So that's pretty much it. You, to understand why the aggregate demand curve slopes downward uh, is important, but it's not as important. So I won't focus on this in this podcast. I'd let you guys see it in the actual videos. So then from that point on, we have to understand why any of the uh, why the aggregate supply curve may shift and we're going to see that we will have actually more than one aggregate supply curve aggregate demand we're only seeing one it's a downward sloping aggregate demand curve so it highly resembles demand curves that you may have seen in other classes but the aggregate supply curve will have an upward sloping one but we'll actually have a vertical one as well and if we just focus on the usual upward sloping one well, what's going to shift the aggregate demand curve to the right or left? Well, in this case, it's actually quite similar to things you've seen in microeconomics. So if ever you've done microeconomics, well, the main things that shift aggregate supply to the right, uh, meaning that for the same price that you receive, you're willing to supply a greater quantity. Because if you kind of look at that upward sloping graph to be to the right, you have to be for a specific price, I want to supply a greater output level. Or if I think that it's to the right, well, it's also lower. So if I were to produce the same quantity, I now require a smaller price. Well, the main factors that we've seen in microeconomics still apply here. If your cost of production go down, whether it's your labor, whether it's your inputs, uh, like uh, gasoline or anything else, like uh, big factors of production, um, anything that you're importing to, or not necessarily importing, but the raw materials that you're using uh, to create your product. If those are dropping in price, well, you're able to supply a greater quantity at the same price, or you're willing to supply it at a lower price. And same thing if there's a, a big increase in technology, which allows you to produce things more cheaply. So those are the main things that will shift the aggregate supply curve to the right. And then you could have other factors as well, since we're dealing with the whole economy, such as like big natural disasters, uh, definitely will have an impact on the overall supply of different products. So if uh, there's a nuclear bomb that hits uh, the major cities, well, obviously the aggregate supply is gonna shift. Yep. And then when we think of long run aggregate supply, this is, one that's kind of new, uh, if you've ever seen supply and demand. So this one here is really looking at the idea of what's the supply level if we're in a well-functioning economy. So associated to the long-run aggregate supply is the whole concept of 
natural level of output not, uh, or potential output. If you hear any of these kind of words, they all kind of mean the same thing, which is essentially meaning if the whole population, except a few people that might be transitioning between jobs. So we've talked about in the unemployment chapter, we've talked about the idea of there is cyclical unemployment, but there's also natural causes for unemployment, which is just like looking for the best job if ever you lose your job and so on. So it doesn't necessarily need to be in a recession. So if we think that there's no cyclical unemployment because we're not in the recession, well, it could be quite normal for some countries to have like five, six percent unemployment just because people are transitioning between jobs or they're getting retrained or relocating for a job. So because of that, we have a certain level of unemployment. Okay? And then afterwards, it's kind of looking at if you, you factor in that level of unemployment uh, and everyone's working like 40 hour work weeks. Well, what's the level of output that we can produce? And that represents our natural level of output or our potential output. So if you kind of look on the horizontal axis, you figure out what that output is. And then you just draw a straight line vertical from there. And why a straight line vertical from there? Well, if you think about, let's say you and like 20 of your friends are producing desks and chairs. Well, if you're all kind of working 40 hour work weeks, there's a certain quantities of desks and chairs that you can produce. If you're not slacking off, if you're not like working like crazy 100 hour work weeks. So from that point on, that is the quantity of desks and chairs you can produce. If you can sell them for $50, $100, $5,000, well, in any respect, regardless of the price, that is the same quantity you will produce if you're working normal work weeks and there's not crazy levels of unemployment. So that doesn't change. That is not influenced by the price level. Yes, if the price level or the price that you can get is higher, you will have an incentive to produce more. And that's reflected in the upward sloping aggregate supply curve. But if we think about the definition of potential output and the natural level of output, if everyone works a certain amount of hours, well, that doesn't change unless like uh, a lot of the population dies off uh, due to whatever reason um, or there's massive changes in technology as well. Otherwise, we always treat this as kind of like vertical. So for the purpose of this class, because we're not looking at like wars or anything else that may kill off a lot of the people or like massive immigration spurts, we kind of just treat this one as fixed. So normally when you draw the long run aggregate supply, you just kind of leave it there. Like you might see more advanced classes that they'll have it move around. But for this class here, just kind of draw a straight line somewhere on your graph upward line and just call it the LRAS or the long run aggregate supply. And from there on, it's going to be your benchmark. Because when we add the short run aggregate supply and the aggregate demand, well, the intersection point between the short run aggregate supply and the aggregate demand will determine our short run macroeconomic equilibrium. And if we're in a short run and the long run aggregate uh, macroeconomic equilibrium, well, in that situation, you're going to have all three curves uh, intersecting at the same place. So 
the downward sloping aggregate demand, the upward sloping aggregate supply, and the vertical long run aggregate supply will all intersect at the same spot and look like an asterisk. So that would be our long run aggregate uh, macroeconomic equilibrium. But it's possible to be out of that equilibrium because like we mentioned, we're not always running at potential output. We go through recessions, we go through booms. So that occurs when the two kind of short run uh, equilibrium, uh, like a short run supply and the aggregate demand curve intersect somewhere where it's not across the long run aggregate supply. So if you were to kind of draw it and you were to kind of like uh, draw aggregate supply, aggregate demand, and then add the LRAS, just draw the LRAS vertical to the right of that intersection point or to the left of that intersection point, and that's going to be two different stories. So if the long run aggregate supply is like further to the right than our actual intersection point between the short run levels, well, that's the situation where if I think about that, well, at the intersection of my short run levels, I go down and I look at my level of output. Well, my level of output is inferior to what my potential output is telling me. So that's going to be a situation of a recession. So if you draw them and you're not sure, is this a recession? Is this a boom? Well, just ask yourself, well, that intersection point between the short, the, like uh, the upward and the downward sloping curves, is it to the left? Am I producing less than potential or to the right? Am I producing more than potential? And from there on, you could kind of see what's going on and, uh, and kind of have implications that come from there. So then you could start talking about output gaps. So. If I'm to the left, I'm in a recession and I have a recessionary output gap, which is that kind of distance, that quantity of output that I'm not producing. So if we were to add numbers, let's say potential output is a thousand units and your intersection point between the two goes at 700 units, well, you have a 300 unit output gap. We normally don't computate it. We actually just look at whether uh, we're in a situation where we're to the left or to the right, so in a recessionary or an inflationary output gap. So how do these uh, analysis normally work? So there's different ways to go on about it. One of the key ways that you should understand is that long-run macroeconomic equilibrium is your starting point. So if you were asked to draw this, you would draw the two curves like the downward upward sloping curve and then wherever they intersect you would draw that vertical line across uh, through it to create that point where all three intersect and that is your starting point because from there everyone has common ground regardless of how you draw it like if you start from that point and you have ad or s shifting everyone will lead to the same conclusion so it's just an easy way to start and at the same time, this is where the economy will eventually converge to. Naturally, in the classical theory, which call, also called laissez-faire, or through government intervention, which we'll see in the following chapters. And uh, so that's our kind of like, the economy normally converges to this, uh, either naturally or through, with a bit of help. So this is our, often our starting point to look at news events uh, that could happen. So pandemic, um, for some reason, there's a drop in demand for a certain product, or there's an increase in demand for something else. Uh, so that's pretty much our starting point. So from there, you start from that story. And how do you analyze this? Well, 
you try to determine whether this news vent will shift aggregate demand or aggregate supply. And as always, aggregate demand is anything that has influence on consumption, investment, government spending, or net exports directly. And aggregate supply will be anything that has influence on the input costs of those products and on um, technologies. So let's say we start from a situation like an example I've given on an exam at some point is uh, suddenly a lot of uh, foreign countries are developing a taste for Canadian products. So Canadians created this new invention, this, this innovative product, and a lot of people around the world would like to get access to it. Well, all of a sudden, if I think about this story on its own, like I haven't talked about input costs. I haven't talked about like uh, being more efficient in terms of like technologies that help us produce things cheaper. I looked at a product that's being created and this product, uh, regardless of what happens to consumption, investment and government spending locally, I know it's going to lead to a lot more exports. So the focus of this kind of like discussion or this kind of like initial story was that more foreign countries are interested in this product, therefore exports is going up. So from there, you say, well, exports is a positive in that GDP calculation, so if it goes up, my aggregate demand curve must be shifting to the right. So first, you determine whether it's AD or AS. I said nothing relates to input cost or technology, so it's not AS. Uh, so AD shifted and it shifted right. So once you start from that initial diagram, which all three intersected and you have AD shifting to the right, well, you can see that the new intersection between the new AD curve and the SRAS, which hasn't moved, is going to lead to a level of output that is superior than potential output. This means that we're going through a short-term boom uh, or an inflationary output gap. And from there on, other factors will bring us back to the long-run macroeconomic equilibrium. But in the short run, we're going through a boom cycle or an inflationary output gap. So then from there, that is kind of like your initial pretty quick impact. And then we want to understand how things will kind of move back to the long-run equilibrium. So in this chapter here, we're not having any government intervention. In the future, we'll see that government can in, uh, intervene to get an outcome that's different than what would happen if we just let the economy recover on its own. But here we want to analyze what happens when the economy recovers on its own. So when we're in this inflationary output gap, people are all working like more than 40 hours a week. Employers are struggling to find good employees and they're kind of trying to get them to work more and more and more or they're trying to hire more and more and more because we're in this boom cycle. And what naturally happens in those situations is if there's a lot of demand for workers, not a lot of workers, people will start negotiating higher wages. And as that happens, as higher wages go up, well, the aggregate supply deals with input costs. Well, we said that labor has impact on uh, input costs because it is one of those input costs. So as the price of labor goes up, that means that the aggregate supply curve, if I just focus on that one on its own, if you want me to produce the same quantity as before, I'll need to charge a higher price. So it's going to be higher or to the left uh, than before because I'm paying more uh, wages to my employees. Therefore, the AS curve will start shifting left. And if you start from that short run at macroeconomic equilibrium and you start having the AS curve shift left, well, at some point, you're going to reach a new long-run macroeconomic equilibrium where all three curves will intersect. And that will be the new 
kind of long-term situation. And if I compare normally from this analysis, I like to kind of treat my initial situation as point A, that intersection point as point A, then my and macroeconomic equilibrium that was a short run one as point B. So I could see that initially there was an increase in output and then go back to point C and I could see that output's gonna start falling again because people will be working normal work weeks but being paid more. And we're gonna go back to potential output. So all in all, the output level hasn't changed, but the price level has gone up. And this is why we say that an inf these booms or these inflationary output gaps are called that way because they lead to inflation if the government doesn't in intervene to try to slow down the economy all of a sudden. The other classic example is just looking at anything that could lead to a negative demand shock. So from there, you would have had a situation where uh, demand curve would shift left. Maybe it's due to a, uh, people are fearful of what's going on in the economy uh, because of a shutdown and everything else. And all of a sudden, businesses aren't investing as much. Aggregate demand shifts left. We fall into a, like a short run recession. What's going to happen over time? Well, some people uh, at first, they might have access to government services to help them survive. But if they're there, the money that's flowing in kind of suddenly runs out Well, they'll, they'll have to seek jobs and they might start accepting jobs that are paying less than what they used to be paid. And as that happens, wages go down and as wages go down, aggregate supply curve starts shifting right in this case to a new run, long run equilibrium. The thing with this situation versus the other situation is people are very quick to accepting higher wages. People aren't as quick to accepting lower wages. So normally we say that the long run adjustment process that naturally occurs without government intervention in a recession is a slow process because of sticky wages. Sticky, the wages are sticky downwards, we typically say, and it's people are very slow, it's very hard to have them accept lower wages. And this is one of the reasons why some level of inflation, like our 2% yearly inflation, is not a bad thing. Because it's very hard to tell someone who's used to be paid $20 an hour, I will now pay you $18 an hour. A lot of people would say, hey, like, don't touch my payroll, don't touch my salary. But if normally in your collective agreement or whatever, you negotiate for like salary increases that follow inflation. So normally at $20 the following year, 2% more, you should be paid $20.40. Um, well, it's much easier to tell that employee, okay, we're just going to freeze your salaries for a few years uh, just to get through this recession. So the, the employee is not getting paid more in nominal terms. They're not paid less in nominal terms. So it's kind of acceptable. But in reality, in real terms, they're getting paid less because there's still inflation. Everything's becoming more expensive and their wages haven't gone up. But it's an easier pill to swallow than seeing your actual paycheck, your actual wages, your pay slip drop. So that nominal value drop. So that's the whole idea behind uh, demand shocks and the impact if we go towards an inflationary output gap or recessionary output gap. And like we talked about this analysis going from that initial long run macroeconomic equilibrium to an inflationary output gap or a recessionary output gap. And then the natural mechanism that gets us out of that macro, short run macroeconomic equilibrium back to potential output. So 
from there you see what gets us out and what brings us back if you have a situation where it says that you're initially in a recessionary output gap well you're you've kind of done that first of two steps you're already out of equilibrium what's going to bring us back so you only have to look at that second part but typically a lot of the long questions i could ask often start from a long-run macroeconomic equilibrium a news event occurs brings us out of it and then something brings us back in this chapter we're only looking at this something being natural forces which is changes in wages that will bring us back to that long-run equilibrium but when we look at chapter 15 and 16 well we're going to start looking at the influence of monetary and fiscal policy on aggregate demand and how we can try to close those gaps quicker to avoid some of the problems so i hope you enjoyed this little chat uh, start getting used to these uh, graphs because we see them here but we'll see them again in chapter 15 16 17 actually for the next four chapters till the end and uh, make sure you understand them make sure you understand the mechanisms that happen naturally and if you have any questions reach out otherwise i'll talk to you soon have a great day